it is a season of grace. Time to celebrate the one who's coming was a gift of grace. I found myself examining, studying the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I'm going to share with you probably a, a message like you haven't heard before. And I say that because, you know, I dug through my files, and I'll just be perfectly honest, in 40 years, I've never preached a sermon quite like this. So if you brought a Bible, I want you to take it and turn to the Gospel of Luke, the third chapter. You don't have a Bible, but you've got your phone, open that app. Luke chapter 3. We are going to read the family tree of Jesus. Now, let's just be honest. Most of us don't read the family trees in the Bible. We, at best, skim them. At worst, skip them. Because we don't get real excited about who begat, 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 begat who. But that's kind of what we see them as. But as I was looking at the family tree of Jesus... I realized some things. Jesus didn't come just to one group of people. He came to a world. He didn't come to save just the up and inners or just the down and outers, but everyone. The common folks in the middle as well as, as those who were up and in and those who were on the bottom, the down and out. People say, well, why did they even put a family tree in here? I mean, what's it matter? If, in fact, he is the Son of God, which he is, and if he came from heaven, which he did, what does this matter? Because our families influence us. And now a word to a, a select group within this congregation. They will understand what I'm about to say, what I'm referencing, and many of you will not. Several years ago, there was a, a movie that came out starring Will Smith entitled Hitch. Some of you saw it. Many of you didn't. But if you'll remember, in that movie, there's one scene where Hitch takes a young lady to Ellis Island. And he has arranged a tour on Ellis Island. And they work their way through. And they find themselves looking at a book which lists those people who had entered through that port of entry as immigrants into this country. And there on one of those pages was the name of one of her ancestors. And his character made this statement as they stood there looking at that list. He said, you can't really know where you're going until you know where you've been. There's some truth in that. That's the reason that there's so much interest in genealogy today. That's the reason that if you are watching television, you can't watch for 30 minutes and not see a commercial for Ancestry.com. You can't watch television in an evening and not see a commercial promoting some type of DNA testing that will help you narrow down the regions of the world from which your family descended. 
I think that looking at the family tree of Jesus helps us to understand why he came to earth. And so I want us to look at it together. Now, please understand, there are two different listings. We're only going to look at one, although I will refer to the second several times. We're going to look together in Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 23. It's also recorded over in Matthew chapter 1, but we're not going to read that one this morning. We're going to read the family tree as it's recorded in Luke 3, beginning at verse 23. Now, here's the reality. A lot of people want to know, where did this Savior come from? Before we even read the genealogy, let me share with you my conviction. He came from heaven. He is the eternal God in Son. He always was. He was before there was a world. His destiny was determined by the Godhead before creation ever occurred. But there's a human connection. And that's what we're going to look at together this morning. So if you've got your Bible open to Luke chapter 3, find verse 23. Once you've done that, if you can and will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we read together this passage of Scripture, which is probably unlike any passage you've ever read together in the house of God. Beginning at verse 23, we read, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, I love this, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Eli, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maoth, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah. Need to stop and breathe yet? The son of Joanan the son of Reso, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Nerai, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Er, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Melia, the son of Mena, the son of Mattathah, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Amenadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arksad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Father, I pray that today you would open our eyes to understand what you have done, what you were doing, and what it means to us. 
Father, we celebrate the coming of Jesus. But we celebrate his presence as our Savior. And we celebrate the anticipation we have of his coming again as our King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, help us to see today from your word what his coming means to each one of us. Open our eyes, teach us your truth, and give us hearts that are responsive to your voice. For we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I normally don't struggle to pronounce as many words in Scripture reading as I did this morning. But you know, as, as I was preparing for today, I found myself reading the genealogy of Luke chapter 3, as well as the one written down by Matthew in Matthew chapter 1. And as I laid them side by side and began to read them and compare them, I found myself saying, wait a minute. These aren't the same. These are different. Why? Why are they different? How are they different? And so I began to dig into that a little bit. A lot of theories abound. I'm going to tell you what a couple of the theories are. I'm going to tell you what I think. Matthew traces the genealogy from Jesus back to Abraham. Luke traces the genealogy from Jesus all the way back to Adam. Actually, to God who created Adam and is the father of all mankind. Some people look at these two lists and say they're different. Some of the names don't match up. Therefore, this is evidence that the Bible contradicts itself. This is evidence that there are errors in Scripture. No, it's not. Now, let me just say to you, first off, the Jews were and are the most meticulous record keepers of genealogy that the world has ever seen or known. So the thought that these two Jewish men could take Jesus of Nazareth and write down two completely different genealogies and come up with two completely different family trees is inconceivable to me. It just does not make any kind of sense. church historian, Eusebius, believed that Matthew was tracing the primary or biological lineage, where Luke was taking into account the occurrences of leveret marriage, where if a man died and he had no heirs, that his brother would marry his widow and together they would have a child, and that child would then carry on the family name. His conviction was that Matthew and Luke were recording the same genealogy, Joseph's. But one was following a biological line, and one was following a legal line. There's some credence to that possibility. But I kind of tend to agree more with most modern scholars who believe that these two individuals were actually following two different family trees. 
that Luke was recording Mary's genealogy and Matthew was recording Joseph's genealogy. You see, Joseph, or Matthew followed the line of Joseph, Jesus' legal father. And you say, well, why is that important? Because he comes through the line of David's son, Solomon. Well, then why wouldn't we just settle with that? Well, Luke follows the line of Mary. Now, please understand, Mary is blood relative of Jesus, the biological mother. And he follows her back through David's son, Nathan. This is important because you see through either side, whether you follow the father's line or the mother's line, they both come back to King David and the throne of David, which allows that no matter which way you want to trace it, Jesus fulfills the prophetic necessity of being from the line in the house of David in order to be recognized as Messiah. Now there are those who say, wait a minute. Tracing the line of someone through uh, the mother's side, that's highly unusual. Yeah, it is. So is a virgin birth. I think unusual is acceptable given the situation. Why is it such a big deal? I mean, if Jesus came from heaven, what does it matter who his family tree was? Why would we bother to read it today? I mean, we've never sat here and read genealogies together. We're doing so, friends, because Jesus' lineage back to Adam and even to God shows that he came for everyone and not just for a select few. I want you to see that with me. So what I want us to do is think about his family tree together for a few moments. Because, see, his family tree included sinners and outsiders, you trace this thing back, and you get down to the very bottom, and it says, the son of Adam. So we're back to Adam and Eve. By the way, we talked about them last Sunday, if you remember, in Genesis chapter 3, and the sin they committed, and the results of that sin. You see, Adam and Eve are the father and the mother of the human race. And their first sin, as it's recorded in Genesis chapter 3, they violated God's command. They ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Their sin resulted in a broken fellowship between the Creator and His creation. It led to the expulsion of mankind from the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were ushered out. And God set a guardian at the east side of the garden. And ever since then, I don't care where mankind roams in this world, we are living east of Eden. We have been removed from paradise because of their sin. That's our mama and daddy. But I want you to meet a couple of other people that are also in his family line. You study the history of Israel and you find that the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years before God released them. And when he released them, they spent quite a bit of time in the wilderness. By the way, I'm paraphrasing and nutshelling this thing for you. They crossed the Jordan River and they find themselves facing a great city. And so they've got this great city before them and they've got a river behind them and they're not really sure what to do. 
So God gives them instruction, and some spies are sent into that city. You remember? And because they were afraid, because they didn't know exactly what to do or how to hide themselves or how to survive, it was imperative that someone within that city become their partner. And this is where we meet a woman by the name of Rahab. Rahab of Jericho was recorded as being a woman who basically operated a brothel. She was a woman of ill repute, a prostitute. But she possessed a healthy fear of God. And she had a great respect for the people of God. And, and that led her to assist the spies who came to spy out Jericho. And, and because of her action, she was saved. Her family was spared. And whenever the city fell, she and her family were adopted into the nation of Israel. Matthew records in his genealogy of Jesus, in Matthew 1.5, that she married a man by the name of Salmon, of the house of Judah. By blood, Rahab was an Ammonite, a Gentile. But she marries Salmon of the house of Judah and becomes a part of the nation of Israel. There's a second woman who's connected to this genealogy that I want you to meet. Her name is Ruth. She's a Moabite. The story of Ruth is recorded in the book of the same name in the Old Testament. It tells of a Moabite woman, uh, by the way, that's another Gentile, who married a Hebrew man. Her husband, Malon, died and left her as a widow she was left to survive in partnership with her mother-in-law, Naomi. They went back to their homeland. And one of the greatest love stories in all of literature unfolds in the book of Ruth. And she is rescued from her plight by her mother-in-law's kinsman redeemer by the name of Boaz, whose name we read a few moments ago in Luke chapter 3 in the family line of Jesus. Uh, by the way, if you haven't ever noticed it, take note. Boaz was the son of Salmon and Rahab. Adam and Eve, horrific sinners. Rahab, Ruth, Gentiles, outsiders from the people of God. And yet these are in the family tree of our Lord Jesus Christ. So his family tree includes sinners and outsiders. You'd say, okay, so we've got the down and outers covered. Yeah, but I told you it doesn't stop there. Because if you looked at his family tree as we were reading through, you also discovered his family tree included kings. I mean, obviously, David's name was listed in there. And David was the second king in the history of Israel, the greatest king that the nation ever knew. The son of Jesse, who was the grandson of Ruth, the great-grandson of Rahab. And I know that somebody out there right now, your eyes are rolling back in your head and you're thinking to yourself, Preacher, who cares? Well, we should. Because you see, the king of kings 
would come from this family line of kings of Israel, beginning with the second king, who was only two or three generations removed from Gentiles that were accepted into the people of God. And David's family ruled after him. You look at the genealogy and you see the list of kings. Some were good. And we know some of their names. Solomon, his son, pretty good king. He did accomplish one amazing thing, and that was the building of the temple in Jerusalem. There were others. Some of their names are familiar for differing reasons. Asa, Jehoshaphat, Uzziah, Hezekiah, Josiah. They were mostly good kings. They accomplished some good things. But then, like it happens so oftentimes, when power is directed into one channel, corruption began to set in. Morality began to decline. These kings began to fail in horrible ways, falling away from God, leading the people into sinful behaviors. They led to the destruction of the nation of Israel as it had been known. In fact, if you read the genealogy that Matthew records, he interrupts his genealogy in the middle. In chapter 1, verse 11, he interrupts his genealogy saying that this happened at the time of the exile to Babylon. He picks it up a verse later in verse 12, uh, stating that this happened after the exile to Babylon. So he frames that period of time. Say, what's so big about that? Jesus was born into this imperfect Davidic line in fulfillment of prophetic scriptures. He had to be of the line of David. He had to be of the house of Judah, and he was. He fulfilled God's promises in prophecy, and yet he was so different from his family. God had promised David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. He will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. Out of Isaiah chapter 11, we read a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Out of his root, a branch that will bear fruit. Jesse was the father of David. Out of Jeremiah chapter 23, we read, The days are coming when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. You see, the prophecies over and over and over point to the family of David, to the family of Jesse, to the tribe of Judah, to the coming king who would fulfill all that was good and right, the Messiah. And that's the family tree of Jesus. Sinners and outsiders, kings, good and bad. But let me also tell you this. Within that family tree, you find some great people of God. Not every family tree is perfect from beginning to ending. In fact, I listen to most people talk about their families and, you know, most family has a weird Uncle Frank. Most families have someone who'll say, yeah, I'm, I'm the black sheep. I'm the one who didn't fit the mold. 
I'm the one that everyone says is adopted. Folks, listen. Sometimes we don't feel like we fit in. Sometimes we don't. Jesus didn't fit. But there were other great godly people in his family. You can read the genealogy. We read it together a few moments ago. But let me just throw a few highlights at you if I can before I close. You get back to the early days and you find the names of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Perfect? No. (laughs) No. But these are the men that are known as the patriarchs of the nation of Israel. And they followed God on an amazing journey into the unknown. They wrestled with God. And they fathered a nation of people that would become a great blessing to all of mankind through the Christ. Boaz. I mentioned him a while ago in connection with Ruth. Boaz was the kinsman redeemer in the story of Ruth. It's a big deal. Through his action, Boaz gives us hope. You see, Boaz revealed how God would purchase his loved ones as his own possession. He reveals to us how God redeems his own so that he might become their caregiver, their their protector, their provider. Boaz. David. Well, we talked about David. He was the king. Sure. But there's so much more to his story than just who he was as the king of Israel. David was far more than just a king. You go back and start at the beginning of his story, he was a shepherd boy who learned how to care for the flock of his father. What a great analogy. To lead them patiently where they needed to go, to fight, to protect them when they were in danger. All of those things were preparing him for what God was going to do with him later. David. A a giant slayer, one who stepped up when no one else would to defend the name of God and to honor God's people by defending their name as well. And he grew into a great warrior. But what was it that made him so great? The fact that he was a shepherd? No. The fact that he was a warrior? No. The fact that he was a king? Absolutely not. What makes him a great man is the fact that God said he was a man after his own heart. You see, you study the genealogy of Jesus and you see that it's filled with sinners and outsiders. Filled with kings. Filled with great people of God. The entire spectrum of society is found in the family tree of Jesus. So he can relate to all of us. And during this season of grace, I just simply want to say to you, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It does not matter what you've done. Jesus came for you. Sometimes it's true, folks. You can't really know where you're going until you know where you've been. 
Looking at the family tree of Jesus can help us to understand, to know what it was that he came to do. He came to reach all of mankind. The down and out, the up and in, the in-between, the powerful and the poor. His people include great godly people, kings, sinners, outsiders. But Jesus came to establish a kingdom. A kingdom unlike any other kingdom. A kingdom where, where all are welcome. A kingdom where everyone can belong. A kingdom where, where people can find hope and life and new beginnings. I'm one of his people. I belong to his kingdom. He's my king. I found life. I found hope. I found a new beginning. I find those things every day in him. I belong to Jesus. Do you? He came for you, my friend. And he's waiting on you. How long must he wait? Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of commitment. I want to give you the opportunity to respond to this Jesus. This one who came for you and for me. If you're here today and you don't know him, you're not certain you belong to him, that he's your king, I want you to know that today he's waiting on you. He came for you. He loves you. He has a plan for you. Would you call on him? Would you confess your sin to him? Just tell him you're a sinner. He already knows, by the way. We're all sinners. He already knows, but confess it. Admit it. Ask his forgiveness. Ask him to make a new person out of you today that's fit for his kingdom. And set your heart on pursuing him for all the rest of your days. Maybe you want to do that, but you're not really sure. You're uncertain. You've got questions. I want to invite you in a moment. When we stand and begin to sing, come take me by the hand. We won't embarrass you, put you on the spot, but we'd love to explain to you how today you can become a child of the King. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you realize He came for you? Do you understand it doesn't matter where you are in life. It doesn't matter what you've done with your life or what kind of mess you may have made. He came for you. And you belong in his family tree, whether you're a sinner and an outsider, whether you think you're a king, or whether you're a great person of God, you belong in his family. Would you let him bring you in? However he leads you, hear his voice. Be obedient. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I, I thank you. It reveals the truth of who you are and how you work and what you intend to do in our lives. Father, I pray for us in this room now, believing in my heart of hearts that there's someone here who doesn't know you. I pray, Father, that you would pull them, draw them to yourself. Father, there are probably some of your children here who've made a, a mess out of their lives. They're looking this morning to you for healing, for hope, for fresh start. Father, draw them to you. 
God, every time we gather, there are people who come in here with all kinds of hurts, burdens, concerns, worries. I pray today that you'd help us to trust you, to run to you with everything that weighs us down, cast it on you, and leave it there. So, Father, you've spoken to us. You're speaking even now. Help us to hear. Be obedient. But we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.